Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Happy Cinco de Mayo, Seahawks fans. Hope you're May the 4th. Uh, was with you in a good way as well. I am Dan Viennes. Thank you for joining me again on the Seahawks Forever podcast. Uh, as we now get into the thick of the post-draft part of the offseason, which can slow down some. There's some cool things coming up. Rookie mini camp next week. Uh, so we get to see these guys in person for the first time. Some of those are happening around the league. You're starting to see some video of what some of those rookies look like. And then it sounds as if the schedule release will happen uh, six days from now on the 11th, next Thursday is when it's rumored to happen. And of course, uh, I will have all of my thoughts on that as well. Um, let's do this. Let's get you caught up on uh, what I'm going to talk about today on the show, because I, I don't think it's any surprise that the most talked about subject since the draft is did the Seahawks do enough to get better on the, on the defensive line and not just get better, but do they just, do they even have enough as it stands today to start the season? And, and what does that defensive line look like heading into 2023 after Pete Carroll and John Snyder talked so much during the off season about how they wanted to get more dynamic up front. So I'm going to dive into that. We're going to look at the roster as it's constructed today Look at the bodies. I'm going to compare it to last year's opening day 53-man roster and positional breakdowns. A, do they have enough bodies? And today, we're going to focus a little bit on are those bodies good enough and ready to contribute as rookies and who else might be able to step up. But just do they have enough bodies today for us to be worried about? And then where can reinforcements come from potentially? And I'll wrap it up with a quote from John Schneider, a little soundbite from before the draft, where he was talking about the different phases of the offseason that might allow us all to breathe a bit easier about that part of the roster and also talk about some things, maybe some hope or some help is on the way. Uh, let's do this. Let's get into it real quick and uh, just kind of just recap. First of all, I think right off the top, one of the things that's making a lot of us nervous is just that there's going to be a heavy reliance on a couple of rookie players this year. Cameron Young, Mike Morris taken in the draft just this last weekend to add to Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Miles Adams. Should we be as concerned about that as we are? What does the history look like for the Seahawks? Who are some other players that could be factors in that defensive line rotation? Okay. So on its surface, Seahawks swapped out basically four for four. Puna Ford, not signed as a free agent, just signed in Buffalo this week. Al Woods, released, signed with the New York Jets two days ago. Shelby Harris, released. Quentin Jefferson, released. In their place, Draymond Jones, free agent signed from the Denver Broncos. Jaron Reed, brought back again. Hello again. Cameron Young, Mike Morris, fourth and fifth round draft picks. Is that enough? Does that make him better? And should we be concerned? And I wanted to look at this a couple of different ways. First of all, how ready are Cameron Young and Mike Morris 
to contribute as rookies? What's the Seahawks' history of playing young defensive linemen as rookies? And then we're going to do a deeper dive into these undrafted free agent defensive linemen. And there's one, there's one specific factor that ties these three key guys together that they signed as undrafted free agents that is a common trait among the three of them that I think might hopefully help you to be a little bit more optimistic that that one or two of those guys can help. But let's do this first. If you're watching the video version, let's let's get into the, let me add this. Let's look at the spreadsheet. This is the current roster breakdown. And what I've done here is you can see in green, there's 46 names there. And then there's seven in light blue and then there's some in white. And I didn't list every single undrafted free agent. I pretty much listed and will continue to track only the players that I think have a legitimate shot to contribute to this team. We're not focusing on the offense today. Uh, although you can see it here. And what I've done, if you look at the positions as I list them across the top on offense, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, in parentheses, you'll see a number. That's the number at that position that the Seahawks carried at the initial cut down to 53 last year. It changes. It changes sometimes after cut down, Dave, veteran minimums come into play. There are cuts from other teams, things like that. But for the most part, this year it was a little more stable or last year. And then you look down at the bottom defensively, and here was the breakdown to start the season last year. Defensive tackle, they carried three. Defensive end, as they list them, they carry four. Outside linebacker, five. Inside linebacker, three. Corner, six. Safety, five. Where you can get nervous, and I think where a lot of this hand-wringing comes from, you can just look at the chart. In green, I only have five names total between defensive tackle and defensive end. Miles Adams and Cam Young listed as defensive tackles. Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed, Mike Morris as defensive ends. And so right off the bat, just mathematically, we're two bodies short there. Okay? And we're going to get back to these numbers in a minute. But you look at the names in blue. So where, where are the reinforcements going to come from? First of all, one question at a time. How confident can we be that these two rookies, Cam Young and Mike Morris, can contribute as rookies? And so I went back and looked at a couple of recent examples. Puna Ford and Jaron Reed. Puna Ford was signed as an undrafted free agent in 2018. He was an experienced player, played in games all four years he was at Texas, played in 42 games total. As a rookie, played in 11 games, including a playoff game, was essentially starting by week 13. But from the get-go, was part of the rotation, was able to contribute. Jaron Reed, even more so, only played two seasons at Alabama. Only appeared in games in two seasons. 25 game appearances total. Drafted in 2016 in the second round. Played in 15 games as a rookie. Was a key part of that rotation. And remember, coming out of college, 
the knock on Jaron Reed and, and the storyline of that draft when the Seahawks got him at the top of the second round was should have never been there, was projected to be a first round pick by many. And the, and the talk of the, the post-draft press conference that night was we didn't expect Jaron Reed to be here. And the only reason he was is because there wasn't a lot of upside there as a pass rusher. He was strictly seen by many as a run stuffer only. Does that sound familiar to what people are saying about Cam Young? Right? Um, Cam Young, though, played, appeared in games over four seasons at Mississippi State, has a lot more experience under his belt than either of those players. Had appeared in 34 games at Mississippi State. Mike Morris, over the last two seasons at Michigan, appeared in 22 games. So not as much experience there. But the Seahawks clearly drafted these two players with the intent that they will be able to contribute as rookies. And I believe, and I spent a lot of time the last two days, you guys, going back and watching more Cameron Young tape. And in particular... If you want to do this yourself, just go to YouTube and, and type in Cameron Young versus Alabama 2022. It's it's uh, all 22 tape. It's every snap from that game. Cameron Young's on the field. I didn't chart it. 90% of the time. Played that entire game. Alabama threw the ball on almost every snap in that game. Cameron Young was a factor. And, and those that say, I mean, you, you don't have to look very hard to find scouting reports on him that say he does have some pass rush upside, but those that say he's only a pure nose tackle needs to bulk up to be a nose can only be a nose is only a run stuffer. There is some upside there and man, this guy's motor runs hot and he puts a ton of effort into every play and his get off is good for his size. And I'm more encouraged the more I watch the tape. So I think the Seahawks are counting on him being a vital part of this rotation. There's another factor to this that I want to get Griffin Sturgeon back on the show. He was just tweeting about it today, uh, just about formational usage and um, what the Seahawks are going to do scheme-wise, how often they're going to run bare front, where you know true nose tackle might be minimized a little bit. But we're going to go to the next level, which is if there are only five bodies and they usually carry seven, where are those other two bodies going to come from? Those other two players. Bodies implies they're just holding a spot on the roster. They need contributors. They need guys that are going to be in the rotation and, and help them be a better defense up front this year. So I took a deeper look at some of these undrafted free agents. Uh, touched on them briefly with, with Keith and Bill the other day, but again, went back and tried to get my hands on as much tape as I could. And with these guys... It's harder to find all 22. Even the service that I subscribe to didn't list any of these three guys because for the most part, uh, two of the three at least were expected to be seventh round picks or undrafted free agents. Uh, Jonah Tavai from San Diego State in some scouting services was ranked as high as a fourth round pick. But let's look at these guys. Robert Cooper, Florida State, 6'2", 355. This guy is a nose tackle. Doesn't have the arm length that Puna Ford or Cam Young has. So there might not be, be as much pass rush upside. But again, production, 123 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. This guy's a run stuffer. But you turn on the tape, again, you can find highlights of this guy. 
Dude plays hard. And he's always moving forward. And then the kid out of Rutgers, although he played uh, 21 games at Temple, then transferred to Rutgers, played 22 games there. Ephi Myjay. Uh, all of the play-by-play copy that I could find just shortened his first name to Ephi. So that's what I'm going to call him. Ephi Myjay. At that, at least I know is the proper pronunciation of his last name. 6'2", 280. A highly productive player. Um, over his career, his best year at Temple before he transferred to Rutgers had 10 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. And then Jonah Tavai, really intriguing. Now he's different physically than these guys, six foot 295, right? More in kind of that Kalijah Cansey mold that a lot of you guys wanted the Seahawks to take in the first round that Tampa Bay took at 19 right before they went at 20. Uh, very productive, three technique type, pass rusher type in his career at San Diego state, 148 total tackles, 37 tackles for loss, 25 sacks over his last two seasons alone, 28 tackles for loss, 19 sacks, 79 quarterback hurries and 23 quarterback hits. So now you go back and let's look at this roster again. We need to add two bodies there, right? There's going to be tremendous opportunity for these three players to make an impact and make this 53-man roster. And let's go back to that factor I looked at earlier. How much experience do these guys have playing at the college level? Some of the concern, can Cameron Young, can Mike Morris play right away? Well, they both played in big programs, in big conferences, and they played a lot of football games. And this is something all three of these guys have in common. This is crazy. Almost all all of them took advantage of the extra COVID year. Robert Cooper played in 50 games at Florida State. MyJ played in 43 games at Temple and Rutgers. And Tavai played in 44 games. These are experienced players. They might be limited physically. There's a reason they weren't drafted. They didn't meet all of the size and spec parameters that some teams look for. They weren't invited to the combine. But they have a skill set skill set that could fit into this rotation that the Seahawks might be looking at. You could keep all three. If you do the math theory, you can see that I only, I only put in green. There's a couple of spots that I, that I kind of stole from, right? Seahawks carried six receivers, wide receivers to start the season last year. Do they need six? They carried six corners on their opening day roster last year. But there was some uncertainty with Sidney Jones and Artie Burns and their health coming out of training camp. So do they, if these guys are healthy, do they need to carry six? Well, but you're missing out on special teams, right? Well, you can see here, if you add up all the green and blue boxes, that's 53 players. 46 in green, those are my locks. Seven in blue, that's what I call next up. Totals, 53. How many players are active on game day? 46. So you can see that I carried five safeties here. So I took one from receiver, one from corner, added him to safety. Jarek Reed, the second, Joey Blunt. What are those guys good at right now, today? Special teams. So you don't have to keep that extra receiver, that extra corner for special teams play, right? 
that would allow you to keep all three of these guys if they all flash in preseason and let them develop. Uh, but that is still, I get it. That is a heavy, heavy over-reliance on rookies. And you don't want to do that going into the season, right? So where might the Seahawks find some help? I talked about some ideas on the last last show. There's some free agents out there. There's some guys that that might fit. And now that Puna Ford and Al Woods are off the market, you know, Shelby Harris could still be a consideration. Um, he's the one guy that's out there that could play defensive end in this scheme did last year uh, and can also, you know, reduce inside in certain, certain formations, certain situations. You know, it'd be interesting to see what his market is. It's we're seeing it already. Some players are being snapped up as teams come out of the draft. And I've got a soundbite from John Schneider here in a minute. That'll touch on this, that now they know where their needs are. Now they know how much money they have to spend. You know, Al Woods met with the Jets before the draft, signed with them after. Puna Ford met with the Bills, turned down an offer from them before the draft, signed with them after. Teams want clarity. Players want clarity. Shelby Harris hasn't been signed yet. There's an opportunity where he could come back. And and I'm not going to get deep in again into cap considerations and how they clear that money. Uh, John Gilbert of field goals, their cap guru is going to be joining me on the show next week. And we will get deep into that. But let me just say today to you, what I said on Twitter yesterday, it's easier than you might think. It's easier than you might think. There's a couple of things they can do, but literally one singular move that makes all the sense in the world could take care of everything they need to sign their draft picks and still add in free agency. And for the record, somebody pointed out to me yesterday that John Schneider, after the draft, was asked point blank, do you have enough cap space to sign your draft picks? And he said, yeah, we do. Even though on paper, what we can see, what the NLF, what, what the NFL Players Association reported in their report a couple weeks ago, what over the cap shows, what spot track shows, is the Seahawks are about 2 to $3 million shy of what they need just to sign their draft picks at their allotted, slotted spots. And yesterday they signed their first one, Kenny McIntosh, their seventh round pick. Obviously that's going to be the lowest cap hit, the easiest one to sign, right? I'd said on the show the other day that they can sign all their draft picks, or I'm sorry, they could add free agents now, even though they would continue to show on paper to us that they wouldn't have enough money left to sign their draft picks because they don't have to sign their draft picks right away. We have until training camp, although that's not ideal. And so Schneider said the money's there. Maybe there are some things that aren't showing on paper yet, but also maybe there are some moves that haven't been announced yet, haven't been made official, that the Seahawks have lined up essentially. And they're confident enough those can happen. Because here's the thing. Let me play this soundbite. This is what John Schneider said on his second to last radio show with Seattle Sports 710 before the draft about how the process doesn't end with the draft and how they continue to look ahead. And he was pretty specific here. It slowed down, you know, our staff, Nolan, Willie, uh, you know, uh, DJ, everybody upstairs, you know, Armani, those guys do a really good job of like, you know, kind of keeping their tentacles out. you know, and, 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 and staying in, you know, quasi deals with guys that may not, you know, be getting what they're looking for and uh, to see what that looks like pre-draft and then obviously post-draft 
uh, you know, that'll pick back up again based on uh, what's what teams draft, uh, you know, throughout the weekend, what players are taken and, and, you know, how, how we view our, how we view our squad. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 that, that does not stop. And then we'll, after that, we'll get into, you know, some June 1st cap casualty guys that'll get released based on teams that have drafted a player at a higher position and may not want to, you know, be in a situation where they want to be, uh, paying two people at the same position. There may be some cap casualty guys. We have to have our hands, you know, all over that as well and be involved with that and be ready to move. You know, like I said before, be pliable. There you go. Cap casualty guys. That's something that we don't talk about enough, I think. And maybe it's because that has gotten diluted a little bit in the last couple of years because teams will designate players ahead of time as cap casualties. But that's John Schneider openly talking about staying in it and looking at other veteran free agents. Um, And then there's this, right? Because I just mentioned that Puna and Al, they both had visits those visits don't always lead to immediate signings. Uh, there's a guy out there that Seahawks have met with multiple times over the last couple of years. Know him well. I actually was present at one of their meetings. Uh, and that's Mario Edwards. Just 29 years old now. 6'3", 280. Fits that mold. Can play defensive end in that scheme. And that's really the spot here where they kind of lack the most, right? Second round pick of the Raiders in 2015, 35th overall pick, played three years with the Raiders, bounced around a little bit, was in Tennessee last year, played 13 games, had three sacks. He's not a dynamic guy. He is a very consistent rotational player in his career. He's been durable, hasn't missed a lot of games. He's never had more than four sacks in a season, but he's also never had less than two, 19 and a half career sacks. So uh, just a just a little bonus name for you to kind of keep an eye on uh, the Sonics. Uh, the Sonics. Where'd that come from? Because I'm looking at a green screen uh, that the Seahawks could still add. Um, and then one last point I'd like to make. Pete Carroll name dropped the 49ers at the beginning of this offseason. That that's the standard. And they just have guys that can keep coming at you. And they're more dynamic. And we need to get more dynamic like they are up front. all of this consternation about the fact that they don't have a true nose tackle, that we needed to bring on Woods back, that we missed out by not drafting uh, Siaki Aika or Mazzy Smith. Uh, San Francisco 49ers on their roster last year had one notable defensive lineman over 300 pounds. That was Javon Kinlaw at 319. They added Javon Hargrave, who's 305. That's it. They don't have a true nose tackle. They don't have a guy that weighs 330, 340 pounds. They have guys that are versatile, dynamic, keep coming at you from different angles. I think the Seahawks believe they've got that in Cam Young and Mike Morris. And I think that because of the way the roster is constructed, they were able to sign some of the more intriguing and experienced interior defensive linemen in this draft that could make an impact uh, in training camp. Just wanted to get you caught up on that. We're going to keep revisiting this roster grid as the uh, as the offseason evolves and, and kind of break down some of the different position groups uh, specifically. Uh, but I just wanted to hop on and, uh, and take care of that. Um, as I said, upcoming, John Gilbert's going to be joining me next week. We're going to, we're going to get into the salary cap 
and be a little bit more specific about what they could do to clear that kind of space and be able to add a couple of uh, key free agents. And then Jackson Bevins of the Cigar Thoughts podcast is going to be joining me also next week. And uh, if you listen to him, he absolutely nailed a couple of the Seahawks picks in advance of the draft. And I want to check in and see if he has uh, come down off of his cloud yet, because uh, that was a lot of fun to listen to. Thanks for joining me again on the Seahawks Forever podcast. Please subscribe to the YouTube page. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. And uh, always, always, always engage, comment, hit that thumbs up on the video. It really helps the channel to grow. And it has been growing. Thanks to you. I appreciate that very much. Go Hawks. If there's any breaking news or important stories, I'll hop on and give you my reaction. Otherwise, just keep your eye on the, uh, on the YouTube page and your favorite podcast app. Thanks again. See you next time.